Hi, I'm Margie and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island Dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. This week, I met with the woman of the moment, the cookery writer everyone is talking about, and who I've been dying to meet and to get on the show. Anna was every bit as wonderful as I thought she would be, and we sat in her lovely garden on a hot summer's day talking all things Desert Island dishes, and it was dreamy. I also haven't stopped thinking about her pizza oven that she has in her garden, and now I know I need one. (laughs) Without further ado, here is Anna. My guest today is Anna Jones. Anna is a cook, food writer, and food stylist. She decided to quit her day job after reading an article about following your passion in the newspaper. Within weeks, she was signed up on Jamie Oliver's 15 Apprentice program, and she went on to be part of Jamie's food team, has cooked for royalty and politicians. She has written not one, not two, but three best-selling books and has been hailed the Queen of Greens. Her food has been described as cosmopolitan, strengthening the passion for international cuisine, but with a twist, as all her recipes are exclusively vegetarian. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So you have the most amazing reviews of all of your books. Have you read them all? I don't think I've read all of them. No. No. (laughs) I have definitely, I've I've read quite a few of the ones in the press, I guess. I mean, they're incredible. Um, yeah, I feel really lucky that my books have been received in the way that they have, especially seeing as there's so many cookbooks that exist in the world right now. There are a lot of cookbooks, but I don't think it's just luck. It's all very well deserved. I mean, the Sunday Times has hailed you the new Nigella. Oh, yeah, that was quite that. That's quite a funny one. Yeah. What do you think the current Nigella thinks of that? <laughs> oh, the current Nigella is one of my absolute heroes, and she'll never be she'll never be matched, will she? She's, I mean, she's a one off. She she's is completely she's amazing, one of a kind. Uh, so yeah, no, it's quite. It's always good. It's you know amazing even to be in the same sentence as someone like, like Nigella. But yeah, yeah. And I think I think the guy who was writing it probably was kind of messing around. <laughs> Anna, that is simply not true. But also Nigel Slater is another hero of yours and he declared you brilliant. Well, yeah, he is a really, really sweet man. He we actually have the same publisher, so um we've kind of become sort of friends over the last few years, which is kind of crazy because he has been someone who I have idolized for many, many, many years. And he, yeah, is lovely and has been so encouraging and supportive. Didn't he give you quite a good definition of what a successful book is yeah absolutely I think when my first book came out I loved the process of writing it I loved the process of shooting it but that period of time after it was done and before it came out before I knew how it was going to be received and who was going to buy it and I kind of had very low expectations I just hoped if my mom and some of my aunties and a few people bought it (laughs) it would be a real triumph but I was really I think I'm quite like affected by what people think of me and so I I sort of said to Nigel Nigel came up and said oh your book is wonderful it was a few days after it came out it's such a success I said well is it is it really a success and he said Anna if one person cooks a meal from your book and they enjoy it around the table with their family then your book has been a success and that just completely flipped for me actually what 
my definition of success around all this mm. cookery book writing was going to be. And I'm really grateful to him. Yeah, that's such a good way of looking at it. Because it's true, that that is such an amazing yeah, thing. Absolutely. Nigel, what a yeah, dream I mean, hero. You drew up in California, so I'm looking forward to hearing your first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Oh, yeah. Well, this I don't think is going to be very California. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did spend quite a few years in California and absolutely loved it. And I think it has influenced my cooking a lot. But I think the dishes that we ate grew growing up was were quite yeah, were quite British. You okay. Know? Uh, my dad worked quite hard when we were young, wasn't around that much. I think probably the same as lots of, you know, fathers in that, you know, generation. But he was always around on Saturdays and we'd always play together. We'd go to the garden. He'd, you know, take us out for dinner or whatever. And we'd all hang out together as a family. And on Saturday lunchtime, dad would always make banana sandwiches. Ooh. Um, which, I mean... If you sort of suggest that to anyone else apart from a British person, <laughs> I think they're going to think you're absolutely bonkers because it's a weird concept. Yeah. So wait, it, are we talking bread or toast? Oh, yeah. Bread, bread, bread. bread. So no toast. Okay, Just, butter? Yeah. Fluffy white bread, butter and like mashed banana, Ooh. Um, but not too mashed. There's just like, there's, there's basically like a... There's a sweet spot. Yeah, there's an art to yeah. this sandwich. Yeah, there's an Let's art not to this. In fact, my dad is the best sandwich maker. I mean, self-professed. <laughs> but he does make a damn good sandwich. Those are the best titles. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he does make a damn good sandwich. But that just reminds me of like my whole family being together, of those very carefree days where we could just, you know you know skit around and running out of the garden and I, he I think he made them a lot more during summer or I remember that anyway and it was kind of the day mom didn't worry too much about cooking or anything and yeah we just like, sit around and eat them and there was just like there was kind of nothing to do yes which, which just felt really but everything to do at the same time you know there was a freedom to those days and yeah that's why that's why that, I love them yeah that's such a nice memory because it just shows it's not the complicated food and it, it doesn't have to be anything sort of remarkable that yeah. stays in your head and sort of yeah, marks. absolutely. I mean, it couldn't be less remarkable. Yeah, but that's so nice. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is like, I don't actually really, and as I'm saying this to you, I've just realized this, I don't actually really like bananas. Oh. <laughs> like, I, don't, okay. I don't really like them. Like, I, I would never like peel a banana and eat it. Really? I would, yeah. I, I, like, I'd eat like a banoffee pie or I'd have like banana ice cream, but yeah. like a banana on its own, there's something about that that I don't dig. And that makes it, obviously, that kind of nostalgic memory is so super strong that I... In spite, Still, yeah. In, in spite of that kind of like, you know, not an aversion, but the fact that they're not my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, it still draws me in. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Very good answer there, Anna. <laughs> it sounds like your mum was a really great cook, but she didn't love to spend hours in the kitchen, did yeah. she? Yeah. No, she. So my mum is, and yeah, it is a really good cook. Um, she cooks way less these days because I think, yeah, she, my mum's quite, quite a feminist, I guess. She, I think, saw kind of cooking as a bit of a kind of infringement on her liberty, I okay. guess. Um, just that, that not the fact that she had to cook, you know, not cooking, but the fact she had to cook every night and that it was I, her I, role. Yeah, there was something sort of quite 
duty bound about it. Yeah. I just think made her feel uncomfortable. And so I think she just kind of like rushed through it as you do now. Like before I used to be like, mom, why haven't you made a bechamel tonight? Yeah. And now I actually have a kid. I'm literally like, yeah, I totally get it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think she just kind of, there was never that kind of like long languishing days, stirring jam pans, you know, learning kind of like grandmother's recipes. It was much more, you know, get practical, nourishing, delicious food on the table for dinner. But it was all done in, 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 in the sort of speediest way possible, which I think is how most of us do actually cook now. So, yeah, I didn't learn stirring the jam pan. I actually learned because my mom bought me I showed an interest in cooking she bought me loads of cookbooks loads of kids cookbooks loads of ingredients and allowed me to cook the dinner when I was really oh, little so. amazing amazing for her yeah. amazing for me yeah. <laughs> see what her plan was there <laughs> and and you got into cooking really young didn't you sort of age nine or ten you discovered the joy of cooking and you say that you could be found in the kitchen whilst your friends were playing outside and that just made me think we would definitely have been friends <laughs> yeah. but what was it about the cooking that sort of drew you in so much was it was it the food that you could then eat, which I know was sort of largely my draw, or was it sort of the the magic of the process? I think it was a mixture of everything. I think uh, me and my sister were definitely like greedy children, yeah. you know. Um, we ran around and burnt it all off, but we 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 loved like mom was. She brought us up to you know in a way that's very fashionable now to kind of like whole grains, very little sugar, you know, lots and lots of kind of like nourishing natural food. But yeah, I think that developed a little bit of a fascination with sugar for yeah. us as soon as we could get our hands on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were kind of, um, yeah, we were quite, quite sort of, yeah, sugar hungry. I remember my sister actually used to come home from school and she'd get like, my mom would buy us like little mini chocolate bars because obviously she didn't want us to have a big one. She wouldn't have bought them for us at all unless okay. we pressurized her. <laughs> and my sister would take like five or six Mars bars, put them in a cup, put them in the microwave and melt them together and then eat them with a spoon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, we're that talking like next level chocolate stuff. <laughs> also, incredible invention. Incredible um, invention. Yeah, incredible invention. Um, so yeah, I think the cooking that, yeah, I love the feeling of taking something to the table or even just taking like a little cake around and the kind of encouragement I got from that. And I think my parents actually are amazing at that I've seen that now as they become grandparents with my son they are so encouraging I could literally make my dad like a really rubbish plate of food and he would be like this is the best thing I've ever eaten that's Um, so cute which is so sweet so I think that element of kind of being able to kind of like show love to people and being able to kind of um you know be kind of like that have that connection and have I guess that kind of that praise and that kind of um yeah. Yeah, it's like validation and Yeah, yeah, I think that was a huge thing for me. And um you know, at school I was I was like a bright enough kid, but yeah, I just don't think anything really set me on fire at school. Like I love drawing and I love drama, but I think that you know, when I went to school drawing and drama were kind of like on the side and yeah. then the other things were kind of you know the main thing so I think having that outlet at home was really important and also I loved the alchemy of it like I think I, I just couldn't get over how if I mix some flour and eggs and a bit of sugar together I'd get these cupcakes I know, it's amazing. and then I could put like Smarties on top yeah. of them or whatever you know it was like it and the fact that I could do that myself it was really 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 empowering definitely that actually brings us 
very nicely onto the second desert island dish. And that is the first dish that you learned. Oh, yes. So I think that is... Well, there were two things I made, actually, loads. I think before I before mom felt confident with me using the oven and yeah. stuff like that on my own, I used to make fruit salads, which is okay. so weird. Yeah. But, like, we'd have, like, a family dinner, and then she'd be like, right, you can make the pudding. Give me loads of fruit to chop up, and I'd chop it all up. And then I'd make these really intricate, like, designs oh, on wow. the top out of fruit, which <laughs> is very hashtag smoothie bowl it really is um, <laughs> yeah you were ahead of the time <laughs> um so yeah but I used to make like and she bought like star fruits and all these like crazy exotic fruits and I'd make these like incredible little sort of like you know mosaics I guess out of fruit I thought you you were going to say you got into sort of that amazing fruit carving where you sort of oh yeah that would be good <laughs> that, would, that would be good but that, this is also cool yeah I, I used to work with a chef who carved a crocodile out of fruit once. oh wow step Skills. too far for yeah. me but <laughs> best of luck to him uh, <laughs> uh, so that was one of the things I made and one the other thing I made was the classic thing it was kind of cupcakes biscuits flapjacks but I think cupcakes were the one my sister was really really into baking anything sweet as we've already established yeah. <laughs> but yeah cupcakes were one of the things that I think I made a lot of um just because I think I got the hang of the recipe and then I kind of knew it by heart and I knew I could go home and make them really quickly yeah also back then um they were probably fairy cakes fairy cakes cake. yeah not cupcakes no. fairy cakes. and did cupcakes even exist well I don't Are know they like a recent invention probably somewhere in America they existed probably, but yeah. probably. yeah that's true. <laughs> no they yeah. say so they, they'd be fluffy white little you know sponge cakes and then they'd just have you know that thin icing yeah. Ugh, and I think we probably had loads of different food colorings, which were definitely not natural in <laughs> any way. Um, <laughs> not natural, but necessary. Um, <laughs> chocolate, and then we just topped them with loads of different things. So yeah, Ugh. but there's just something so fun about a fairy cake, isn't there? So fun. Um, yeah. Also, slightly better than a cupcake because in and one. Yeah, in and yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you grew up loving cooking, but it wasn't actually something that you ever thought about doing as a career, was it? Not really, no. I think we touched on it earlier. Like, I definitely uh, felt more engaged in the kind of sort of left brain, like creative side of things. But then my right brain worked quite well as well. So I think I was kind of, yeah, distracted a bit by that. Yeah. And at the schools I went to, they definitely valued kind of like academia and, you know, those kind of like knowledge based skills much more over yeah. the kind of visceral, more creative things. Um, and it's just, an awareness of what the different jobs you can do are and if yeah. people aren't or people around you aren't doing exactly. something in cooking yeah. sort of you just don't naturally think yeah of it, well I didn't I you know I knew I love cooking but I never considered it as a job yeah because I've was considering all these jobs that you got a degree and then you went onto a training scheme and you did all these things for and actually I think if someone had you know your story is your story and I'm really happy I did all the things that I've done now I'm quite passionate, especially about chatting to like young women about the different routes there are within the food industry and the food media and all of these things, because, you know, it's not if you, if you love food, being a chef is not the only route. And that was the only route in my head. Yeah, know? that's so true. I didn't realize that there was this whole like, you know, sort of rainbow of different things you could do within food. Yeah. And, and so at the age of 24, you did a sort of culinary about turn and in a series of events that you yourself describe as a bit of cosmic ordering you ended up working for Jamie Oliver can you tell us a bit about how that came about 
Yeah, that was a pretty wild couple of weeks, actually. I basically was on the way to work reading an article in the paper, which I think you mentioned earlier yeah. about your calling. And it said, you tell me your calling by which part of the paper you read first. For me, it was always the restaurant section. So, and then it was from that moment, it was like a light bulb had gone off in my head. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this could be the route. Maybe this could be something I could turn turn into my job. And I kind of went in to the job that I was doing. I was not very passionate about very nice people. Yeah. Apologies. Um, <laughs> if I was a bit lazy and rubbish, sorry. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I googled cooking courses in London and up popped Jamie Oliver from the 15 course. And I thought, uh, I thought, well, that looks brilliant and fantastic, but I'm never going to get onto that because as we've established, I've you know, did a degree, I've kind of like had, you know, a lovely supportive family and I've had, you know, a really brilliant upbringing. And, you know, the kind of headline on the Jamie Oliver course was that it was for kids from challenged backgrounds, whatever. But I thought, you know, what the hell? I've got nothing to lose. I'll I'll just put my name in anyway and see what happens. And went for some interviews, went for some more interviews, went for some more interviews out at this weird sort of outward bound centre in Wales where we had to like build, you know, shelters out of toothpicks and Uh, that kind of thing. As you do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, about a week later, I had a place on the 15 cooking course. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then I think we started three or four days later and I was in the kitchen. I had to quit my job and say, I'm just not coming back. Today. <laughs> how amazing is that um yeah it was amazing it, it must have felt yeah as you say like that you you were on the right course because how can things just fall into place yeah. and happen so quickly if you're doing the wrong absolutely bit? it I, I didn't question it once I just no. you know it was obviously all of the yeah all everything the lined that, up everything lined up and it felt so right yeah um, and, and it happened so quickly what did your friends and family say were they um, <laughs> well, loads of my friends were really supportive. I guess Jamie had just had his like first series and he was that kind of real kind of laddie kind of like driving around on a moped. Yeah. And I did kind of think, oh, like how are some, how are some of my friends going to perceive this? Because, you know, he, he kind of split opinion back then a bit. Um, but, you know, I love the guy. And yeah, my family were amazing and supportive. I went from a job that was paying me a you know a decent salary yeah. with kind of good solid prospects you know to the unknown yeah the unknown and earning yeah less than really I needed to just eat basic food and support myself so yeah but my parents in their ever encouraging yeah they were super supportive so yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing the third desert island dish is the best dish you've ever eaten Wow, this is a really hard one. Yeah. It's a really, really hard one because I feel like I've been lucky enough to eat a lot of really, really delicious food. And yeah, I've eaten in some amazing restaurants. I've eaten at some lovely chef's houses, you know, and I was lucky enough to eat Jamie Oliver's food for many, many years, cooked by the man himself, which, side note, he is so annoying because he basically just like you'd make something and think it was the best possible thing you could ever yeah. have made and then he'd just be like why don't you put that that and that on it and you'd be like weird idea you'd go and do it and you'd be like oh tastes a hundred percent better that is annoying. annoying really annoying <laughs> um but yeah I think the best thing I've ever eaten was when I was doing a bit of cooking out in Tuscany so as part of uh, my sort of cooking training yeah I went out and lived in Tuscany worked in this kitchen with 
it was me and then like 10 Italian men. I couldn't speak any Italian. They couldn't speak any English. So it was a real baptism of fire. Yeah. Did six double shifts a week. And yeah, it was, it was wild, but incredible education in food. And I was, so on my day off, I used to get a bus from the little kind of monastic sort of town that I, that the restaurant was in down to Siena. And every, every day off, I'd go on a little food pilgrimage and I'd try and find, you know, a new place to eat. And one day in the middle of the porcini season, I walked into this restaurant and also it was quite weird because the sort of macho culture in Italy, I was a girl, quite a young girl on her own, walking into a posh restaurant, asking for a table for one. It was kind of, the whole thing was a bit awkward, yeah. but you know, I... I, I wanted to experience the food culture there. So I went in, sat down and I just said, give me, give me what is best. And this, um, this plate of porcini came out and they'd cut them. The porcini must've been so big. They were like, I don't know, the size of like bigger than the biggest chip or polenta chip you've ever seen. They were probably three or four centimeters across and a couple of centimeters deep, these huge fingers of porcini. And they'd been just floured very lightly and then fried very lightly. And they were like, honestly, like eating the most delicious clouds that you have ever experienced. They were kind of perfectly salty with this really kind of subtle, but perfect crust on the outside. And then inside they just kind of like melted and they were so delicious and I wish I'd written this restaurant down because I can't remember where it was and I've been back to Siena once and me and my husband went literally around (gasps) every street (laughs) until we were kind of like blue in the face in Porcini season every year (laughs) yeah but I do also think that sometimes those moments are those moments and you just have to you know you have to just relish the fact that that happened and realize that it probably won't because even if you went back the following week, there's no guaranteeing yeah. Yeah. it would have the same effect. So yeah, yeah, or the Puccini would be right, or you know that that just also that joy of having a day off when you work six doubles in a row, you know, nothing better. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that there's so many different facets that add to the deliciousness of something. Definitely, um, yeah, it's not just about the yeah. food, and even just sitting on my own and being able to appreciate every mouthful in a different way than I would have been if there were 10 people around the table or two people around the table. Yeah, that's so true. And this is a very difficult question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could only eat the food of one country forever, which country would it be? Oh God, that's really hard. But I think it would be Italy. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. I, I read something where you said you could easily eat pasta every single day and yeah. I feel exactly yeah. the same way. Yeah, yeah, I could eat pasta for every meal. Yeah, me I too. <laughs> Even breakfast. breakfast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've done that. I could. But yeah, I think there's just something about the Italians and about their generosity and about the way they respect ingredients and um, just about the love, like that connection between their hearts and their plates that, you know, happens in a lot of other cultures. But yeah, there for me is the one yeah so you loved cooking at home and for friends but it's such a different type of cooking in a restaurant environment isn't it did you enjoy that instantly when you got to Jamie Oliver's um yeah I did I loved it I absolutely loved it I love the adrenaline of it I love the kind of energy of it I love the camaraderie of it I absolutely loved it I think I I've definitely got like a people are quite surprised by it because I think 
I come across in a different way, but I've definitely got quite an alpha side that I can switch on. Oh, really? If I need to. Like Beyonce, um, you've got sort of two. <clears throat> well, um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've already done a Nigella comparison. Let's go the whole no, hog. Come on, I'm, bas- I'm basically Beyonce. <laughs> um, no, um, yeah, well, I just think that I, I'm quite like soft and gentle and calm most of the time. But when I need to, I can definitely kick into a different gear, which I think was really, really useful in the kitchen. Because yeah. I think you have to hold your own and um, it's a really frenetic environment. And yeah. you, you know, you have to be quite direct at communication. You have to not be worried if people aren't saying please and thank yous because there just isn't... There isn't time. Yeah, quite yeah. a time for that. So <laughs> I actually... I really, really, really loved it. Because it, it, it was a proper, the idea was it, it's a proper restaurant. Oh, but yeah. you were apprentices yeah, yeah, yeah. and you were just thrown in the deep end and taught yeah, on the job. Yeah, exactly. So we were, we did a, we did a few weeks at um, like a catering college, but it was literally weeks, like four or five weeks or something. And then we went into the kitchens and for a while we shadowed another chef. So there'd be two of us on each section. But in a lot of ways, having two people on each section is just a bit more annoying Mm. because there's not quite enough room in a kitchen for that. Um, And then slowly, slowly, you know, the the our mentor chefs were kind of pulled away, and we took over the kitchen. So it was done in a in a in a very brilliant one on one protected process. And I don't think there's any other cooking course in the world where you would get to shadow another chef. So I always say, yeah, it was like sort of cooking on fast forward really yeah Um, an amazing opportunity yeah yeah no it was really amazing and I think there there were a few moments definitely within the kitchen where it got a bit too alpha and there were a few you know a few of the guys who were just not behaving in a way that you know I was into but at 15 actually it was a very protected nurturing environment it was when I stepped out of there I realized how um how it can be full-on sometimes kitchens can be yeah definitely the fourth desert island dish is one I know you've been dreading a little bit. It's what is your favourite sandwich? Yeah, this one's really hard, you know. I'm just not sure because I've already had a sandwich. I yep. had a banana sandwich. It's a really, really, really difficult one because I love sandwiches. Okay, and we talk, make sandwiches talk, here talk all the, the time. Options. So the options, I think... So I gr- grew up loving like a club sandwich. Ooh, yes. Obviously, I don't eat like bacon or any meat anymore or any fish but um uh so I grew up kind of loving that idea of a club sandwich do you know what I learned the other day yeah about a club sandwich do you know why it's called a club no sandwich? chicken lettuce under bacon oh I know your mind a little yeah, bit blown. yeah knew, I thought it was just because it was often served in yeah like, in like, tennis a, clubs. like in a club <laughs> yeah That's I thought I thought it was just because it was a club yeah me too <laughs> um but so I make a a sort of take on a club sandwich, which I started making because my husband, I made it once. My husband absolutely <gasps> loved it. So it? it's kind of like um, tempeh that I kind of like do with a bit of smoked paprika, a tiny bit of maple syrup and cut it really, really thin. So it's basically got that crunch and that kind of like umami situation that you like lots of mashed avocado with loads of lemon zest like roasted tomatoes and then some lettuce for crunch and I think that is probably my favorite sandwich so it's a kind of that sounds really good like a kind of vegan club situation and are you putting the extra piece of toast in the middle I mean, I don't do that very often, but on special occasions, yeah. save the extra piece of toast for special occasions. <laughs> I like that, a special occasion piece of toast. Yeah. Well, that that sounds incredible. Yeah, so I think that, I think that would be my favourite because I think what people miss in a sandwich sometimes is those layers of texture. I think sometimes it can be just one one layer and that's why yeah. you're like, bam, me, you know, the, the 
amazing Vietnamese mm. sandwiches. I love those, you know, because you've got all those different textures growing, yeah. going on. Yeah, just so. because it's a sandwich doesn't mean you can't yeah. build yeah. different yeah. flavors, different yeah. textures. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm yeah. on a sandwich now. Great. Okay. So you're working in Jamie's, you then did some stints abroad working in different restaurants. And then when you came back, you started working for him as a food stylist. You were helping to write recipes and helping make all of his food look delicious and amazing. How did you make the transition from being a restaurant chef to doing that different kind of work? Um, Well, it happened quite naturally, actually. I think one of the things I really, really enjoyed in the kitchen was one of the, one of the first sections you go on in a kitchen is like the colds or the salad section where you kind of like put out all the cold starters or whatever. And, um, so there's none of the kind of, you know, there's none of the pans and the heat and in and out of the oven and that kind of action, but it's, um, sometimes it's a bit slower pace, which is why they put the, 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 you know, less experienced people on there, but it's, it's really nice because you have a bit of extra space to kind of play with stuff. Lots of the ingredients are like, because they're raw, they're salad leaves, they're quite pretty. And I love that section. And that was always my favorite. And so I love, you know, that, that kind of aesthetic sort of side of it. So it happened quite naturally, actually. I think I was just working upstairs one day and Jamie and, and his food stylist, Ginny, was doing a shoot. And I just said, what's, what's all this about? Can I come and help? Um, and then it, it kind of just happened quite naturally. I think the writing side of things has always been a big thing for me. I've always really enjoyed writing, you know, all the the subjects I studied were all big kind of like long essays. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. So I think that, and, and, and the structure of writing a recipe, I actually really love because I'm not great at writing if you want to write, you know, a hundred thousand words or, you know, I, I have so much respect for novelists and fiction writers but who write these long form things. That's interesting that you say that because I think your recipe books, obviously the recipes are amazing, but it, it's also the words and the writing oh, around that. Like that definitely... Um, well, no, I do love it, but I do think that if I had like, uh, if I sat down at my computer with a, you know, 50,000 word manuscript, yeah, I think my mind would explode. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for anyone who doesn't know, I, I always think food stylist sounds very glamorous, which, you know, in part it yeah. probably is, but it's it's very hard work. Isn't yeah, it? it's the most ridiculous job to life. <laughs> I mean, before people knew what a food stylist was, when I was doing food styling, I used to say, and people would literally look at me and be like, what is she talking about? Because <laughs> it just sounds like you're sort of lining up rocket leaves or sort of pampering courgettes or, you know, giving tomatoes a little, a little facial spritz or whatever. But, <laughs> oh my God, I um, love the sound of that. That should be a job. That should be a job. <laughs> I think in my whole career, which has, you know, been, about 15 years now I have had one job where I had to spritz strawberries oh, really? and that was it every other <laughs> job you're basically you know it, it's like it's it's like being a chef you yep. go in you cook all day but you have the extra added pressure of making the food look incredible and yeah. it's, it's a it's a different way of cooking and it's a different skill but I've never made a plate of food that wasn't seasoned and wasn't absolutely like delicious so you're not varnishing at the end no and I think that food styling has got this really weird reputation from two or three people and probably from the 1980s yeah it was a long um, time ago that people used to varnish stuff and no one does it anymore it's you know varnishing is out varnishing is out the window man (laughs) (laughs) Anna the fifth desert island dish what's the dish you eat the most often so I think that there's a few things we eat on repeat basically and since having my son who's 
two and a half now uh the cooking we do at night has definitely become simpler okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but i i kind of love simple food my husband john loves a pasta pomodoro so we eat that a lot yeah um just a really really you know super simple loads of good olive oil loads of parmesan or ricotta salata um so that's favorite but i think the one we actually eat and make the most is is dal because i think it's super quick to make there's a recipe in my first book actually which i somehow you never know what recipes people are going to connect with yeah and that has definitely been the most cooked recipe of all the recipes i've ever written oh really you know you want you always want your most cooked recipe to be like the one with the most unusual flavor yeah (laughs) or the one that's the most like visionary or whatever and quite often it's actually just like the simplest one but isn't that so nice because that means it's the one that is sort of part of people's lives in a really real way and i think that is what you know that's what i want kind of my recipes to be yeah this one is really part of our life it's just what's the secret it's just a red lentil dal with some coconut milk some um lots of like south indian spices and some um crispy sweet potato on top and then i make a really really quick um little chutney out of you could freshly grate coconut if you want i've done that about once in my whole yeah. life. <laughs> um, yeah, it's way more fast than um, well. So you just make it out of um, rehydrated, like desiccated coconut, curry leaves, mustard seeds. And it's kind of the whole thing takes like 25 minutes, maybe a bit longer if you're not a professional chef. So I'll give you a longer timing just in case anyone's going <laughs> to... Anyone's <laughs> <You> know, timing. <laughs> yeah. Anna, like, it took longer. It took me <laughs> two and a half hours. Um, so yeah, but it's just it's just a lovely... It, it's how I love to eat. It's layers of flavor and texture, but it's also comforting, filling, nourishing. Yeah, you know. I'm not surprised. It's that's, it all. Yeah, I'm not surprised that's so popular. <laughs> that sounds delicious. And and so, yeah, you, you are vegetarian, but you haven't always been. So when you started working as a chef, mm. you weren't. And then when you became vegetarian, that must have been, that must have felt like quite a big step sort of professionally. Yeah, it definitely was. I was quite scared actually because I knew in I knew in my bones that it was a move I really had to make for me yeah. personally, for my kind of like well-being, I guess, and also when I stopped eating meat, the, the idea of eating animals or fish became quite abstract to me. So it was something that I had to do that my like that I was being called and pulled to do I guess which sounds a bit hippie but you get me yeah but yeah it was at a time when like you know St John's was like the restaurant like no tail eating yeah the thing everyone was like <laughs> stuffing trotters and like you know like I don't know boiling pig's heads or whatever and whilst you know I just I still respect each individual's decision to eat what they want to eat it totally wasn't my bag um yeah, so, so, so it was it was brave professionally because, as you say, you were going against the grain for what was totally. sort of trendy and yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah, it did really feel like that. Like n- hardly anyone I knew was vegetarian. Obviously, there were some lifelong vegetarians and yeah. friends of mine, but within the food industry, like saying I was vegetarian, well, when I said it to fre- chef friends of mine, they were literally like, "Yeah, good one." Kind of like, "How are you going to carry on with your job?" Yeah, and there was actually that fear. Um, and for a while, I was vegetarian, but obviously, I still had to cook meat. And if there was there was a, there's a couple of really trusted friends I have who I really trust their palate, and I feel like it's very similar to mine. So I'd get them to try it. But if they weren't around, I would try a spoonful of it because I didn't feel like it was fair to be serving yeah. food to people without having tried it. But yeah. Yeah, I don't it's do tricky. that anymore. But it no. was it was definitely a professional risk. But yeah. 
but one that has paid off, Anna. And, and ultimately, yeah, yeah, it's been all right. And, and that's why your food is so clever because the dishes don't feel like side dishes. It doesn't feel like anything's missing. They're sort of hearty and wholesome and they're so clever. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. We're on to the sixth Desert Island dish. What is your go-to dinner party dish? So dinner party, I think it's such a funny term, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's actually quite a cool pairing of words when you think about it, but the <laughs> connotations around it make you think that you need to make a mousse and a coulis. Yes, that's and true. And loads of other things that have 80s names. Yeah. Um, but uh, French, probably actually not 80s, probably French names that were yeah. popularized in the 80s. But so for me... Uh, Having people around for dinner is the exact opposite of okay. all of those things. You're not making mousse. Uh, I love to make a chicken mousse. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a surprising answer, Anna. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, no. I love just making colorful food everyone can share. So I pretty much always make Mexican food. Ooh. Um, so we'll make tacos. Sometimes we make the tortillas here. But amazingly now there's good t- corn tortillas you can buy in the uk so we'll make loads of different things that people can build the the tacos themselves we'll yeah. generally do like uh, a delicious kind of bean situation black beans or cannellini beans depending on the weather um, and then we'll just use like whatever seasonal veggies around we'll char it we'll season it i'll make a salsa out of you know loads of different tomatoes charred chilies charred onions roast garlic if if it's summer, we'll char lots of corn and then we'll just have big bowls at the middle of the table for everyone to kind of like dive in and help themselves. And yes. I love that kind of food. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Do you get to throw many dinner parties? You know what? Not loads and loads. Just uh, more before I had my little boy. But now, yeah, I think we're back into like dinner party mode now. The first yeah. couple of years of having a kid, you know, no one sleeps that much. No. <laughs> Don't tell me, Anna. Yeah, and the idea of planning dinner parties, you know, you're planning other things. But yeah, definitely, definitely into some more so dinner parties now. I should say we're sitting in your gorgeous garden and you've got a full-on pizza oven. Yes. I yeah, bet yeah, that yeah, yeah, gets yeah. brought out for that some That does get cool brought parties. out, yeah. It's actually my husband's birthday in a couple of weeks, so we're having, pizza party. We're having a pizza party. Oh. Yeah, and it's amazing. You can do all sorts, all sorts of stuff in it as well. That is so. the actual dream, Anna. Yeah. The book writing process itself, can you get over the fact that you're creating books that people then buy and then actually cook from? Isn't that amazing? Not really. Yeah. I find it absolutely like mind blowing actually that people sit around their own kitchen tables and make food that I have thought up in this little kitchen here you know it's like it it is very surreal it's really surreal and it's actually I'm gonna sound like really you know ridiculous here but it's it's an incredible honor I think that the food that you put in your family's mouth and 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 that that act of cooking for them and honoring them and loving them in that way is one of the most beautiful things we can do for the people around us and so for me to have any part in that role you know once I've handed the book over that's someone else's thing that's their cooking the recipe it's their thing it's their love but just that they might choose my recipe is amazing is so cool Yeah. yeah and obviously you're a very modest person so you've already said when you wrote your first book you you sort of would be happy if family and friends have bought it but it's safe to say I don't know how many friends you have, but it's more <laughs> more people have bought the book than you know. And now you've written three yeah. best-selling books. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah, no, it is really, um, it is really amazing. And I've 
I'm, I think I have that typically English thing of just being like, oh, yes, oh, yes, fantastic. I've always been quite ambitious and quite driven. So I have like a tendency to look forward. Yeah. Um, but I'm making you look. Yeah. Back. But yeah. but actually, you know what? Um, a couple of weeks ago, my, my latest book won an award, the, the best cookbook at the Guild of Food Writers <gasps> Awards, which amazing. is a huge thing. And it actually made me sit and think and think, hold on a second. This, you know, you reach these milestones in your career that perhaps when you were little, you dreamt about and... I think I've been so busy and so focused on what's coming next. It's been very, uh, quite a lot of times I haven't actually just allowed that to kind of settle and sit and and to congratulate myself on that. So I've been trying to be a bit better at that, basically. Yeah, well, but that's so good that something like that, like an award, sort of allows you to, yeah, to do that. And, and I think it is, you know... As I say, that's kind of validation from the industry and the, the people, but 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 the validation that I get from... The, the amazing people who cook the recipes is a big thing. And I think if I, you know, could look back to that little girl who used to pretend to do cookery shows to like the pot, pot plants, you know, when oh, I was Anna, seven we or eight years old. Lily has been friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would be pretty stoked. Yeah, so. of course. I know you're an avid cookbook collector yourself and um, with a collection to maybe rival even my own. We have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes. Oh. Which book are you going to send to our Desert Island Hall of Fame? I have so many cookbooks and quite a lot of cookbooks have like a, a a certain lifespan. I guess it's like friends. You have like these really, really old friends who you know you can go to when, you know, things get bad or there's a there's a challenging situation and they'll be there for you. And then you have other friends, like new friends who might be fun to go out and party with, or, you know, if you've just become a mom, you might go down the playground with them or whatever. But those old friends will never go away. Um, and so I definitely have like my new friend cookbooks yeah. who are like, you know, in my kitchen on my shelf for like six months. Ready to party. Um, ready to party. Um, but the ones, I mean, this, this, there's three books I'm cooking from loads at the moment. One is Salt for Acid Heat by oh. Samin Nosrat, who we yeah. talked about. And I think like an indispensable book for anyone who wants to like cook from their head rather than from a piece of paper. The Violet Bakery cookbook is constantly by the side of my um, cooker because I'm not, I'm not an instinctive baker. I need a recipe and I think Claire's recipes are off the charts. But I think the, you know what, I think the Kitchen Diaries is the one that I'm going to send to the cookbook. Yes. Hall of Fame, well, Cloud <laughs> in the Sky, whatever you call it. Um, because I love Nigel Stater. I love his writing. Um, I think he just evokes this incredible kind of visceral sense around food. And the Kitchen Diaries I love because every day of the year, there's somewhere you can go. There's some inspiration you can yeah. get. And even though... Nigel does cook with a lot of meat and a lot of fish. It's more the like blanket of his words that I want than the, the than the actual recipe itself. Definitely. So, yeah. Oh, that's the one. The seventh and final desert island dish. What is the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island? Well, that's really hard. And you know what? I what I had in my head was that I, because I, I was thinking about this a bit before was that it was going to be a South Indian tali. Ooh. But then I'm just thinking, if I go to a desert island, will there be loads of coconuts? And will I be able to make that food on the desert island myself? I mean... That is ambitious. Yeah, like yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, if anyone can, I'm going to say you can. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I've never scaled a coconut tree. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to be my forte. But, um, but yeah, I think I love food that is colourful, that is 
all about sharing and also because there's definitely an like a greed element in there where you don't just get one meal on your plate where you get like a load of different things pickles breads everything yeah. that you can share so i think it would be a south indian tali there's there's a lot of kind of um yeah there's a, i've been to south india a lot of times me and my husband like share a, an enormous love of of south india and um and its food and that kind of curry leaf mustard seed coconut sort of triumvirate situation mm. that is in all of the south indian dishes i literally like that's pretty much my favorite flavor combination i think so yeah i'd have a dal i'd have, have a lovely like veg curry i'd have one of their sambals maybe i'd have a doser on the side you don't usually get those in tarlis but, it's but my yeah last why meal, not so i don't care yeah i'd have one of their amazing coconut pickles i'd have a lemon pickle i'd have some kind of mango chutney um we'd have rice we'd have rotis we'd have chapatis we'd have paratha you know those twisty yeah. lovely breads that are delicious and buttery i mean we just have the works anna this sounds amazing mm, are yeah. we gonna have pudding come yeah yeah i think we would have pudding I'm, i don't think i'd go down an indian route for the pudding the pudding i would have would be the pudding we had at our wedding oh what was that um which was totally amazing it was brown sugar meringues and cherries and um, we got married in the middle of july so cherries were kind of at their best and they're my favorite 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 thing and then we had this kind of um uh, the amazing Stuart and Sarah who cook for us, they made this amazing, um, like I love custard, but I don't really love cream. So they made this kind of sort of almost chantilly, but kind of like with yogurt. So it was really fresh. They made mm. their own kind of lemon curd. We had, I think it had some like elderflower in it. And then they piled up these amazing plates with these brown sugar meringues, this um, this kind of like yogurty chantilly the lemon curd then they kind of cook some cherries down with loads of different kind of like aromatics and wow stuff. and then there were fresh cherries all over it and then because they were so amazing they even i think they infused the cherries with myrtle which <gasps> is apparently yeah. a herb that represents everlasting love yeah it is yeah so so yeah i would have that Aww. but we'd have to have Stuart and sarah to come well it. yeah obviously <laughs> that goes without saying Anna Jones, those were your Desert Island dishes. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so fun. So there we are. Another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. If you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do. It only takes a few seconds and I know I'm always banging on about it, but it's genuinely very much appreciated and really makes a difference. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to go to the website www.desertislanddishes.co where you'll find the full list of episodes plus the recipes I've created inspired by each episode. You can come and say hi on Instagram and Twitter at MadeByMargie. I would love to see you there. And other than that, thank you so much for listening. Bye.